0: You're listening to the SPE podcast, energizing our lives. I'm Paige McCowan. Today we are discussing how to have a successful career in artificial lift engineering. Our guest host today is Shauna Noonan.
1: Now you might be wondering what the heck is artificial lift? And by definition, Artificial lift is a critical technology used to keep wells producing when they're incapable of providing that energy themselves, primarily in the force, um, in the form of pressure. Now, uh, in JPT in 2014, October issue, if you're interested in artificial lift, you need to pull up that issue. There was a great historical background in artificial lift that we'll put the link at the bottom of this podcast for you to go see. Now, why would you even wanna be interested in artificial lift? Well, even though there's no global database to tell us for sure the percentage of wells on this planet on artificial lift, we're pretty sure that uh, estimates of around 90 to 95% of the total producing wells uh, on this globe are actually producing via some form of artificial lift. Now I won't get into any more details on that because I have two of the best people to not only talk about artificial lift, but also uh, give a little bit of insight into their careers on how they became artificial lift experts. So let me first read their bios. First is Greg Stevenson. He is a senior engineering advisor for artificial lift at Oxy's Worldwide Engineering and Operations Group in Houston, Texas. In this role, he provides technical support, mentoring, and training for multiple artificial lift techniques. Greg specializes in the various aspects of artificial lift, such as production surveillance, automation, and optimization. He has taught numerous industry courses throughout the world and has written a variety of technical papers and publications on the subject. He is very active in promoting artificial lift through SBE as he currently serves on the JPT editorial committee. He serves on the SBE Production and Facilities Advisory Board. And in 2018, he was the program chair for the SBE Artificial Lift Conference uh, and Exhibition of Americas. Outside of that, he serves on the board of directors of the Artificial Lift Research and Development Council, and he chairs the API Task Group 19G, which manages 25 product standards, recommended practices, and technical reports related to artificial lift technology. Greg, he's a Red Raider. He's got a bachelor's in petroleum engineering from Texas Tech University. I think you know a little bit about artificial lift, Greg. Now we get into Anthony. Anthony Allison, he is an artificial lift advisor for Oxy, where he provides in house support for the analysis, optimization, and troubleshooting of sucker rod pump wells globally. He has 12 years of experience with sucker rod pumping systems, specializing in the use of automation hardware and software tools to optimize the performance of rod pump wells. Anthony currently serves as the chair of the 2020 SVE, Artificial Lift Conference, and Exhibition Americas, and is chairman of API Subcommittee 11, which oversees standards related to artificial lift equipment. The other artificial lift equipment from other than the API committee that Greg is the chair of. And uh, Gigam, he holds a bachelor's in electronics engineering technology and a master's in petroleum engineering both from Texas A&M University. So I am so excited to have both Greg and Anthony on this podcast. And with their patience, I have a series of questions that I would like to ask them. But first of all, I wanna thank you for you, all your service you've done for SVE in the realm of artificial lift, as uh, primarily with the chairing of the 2018 and the 2020 Uh, artificial lift. And the one thing that wasn't in Anthony's bio that he provided to me is he's one of our wonderful Distinguished Lecturers this year. Of course, uh, doing the tour, if you uh, wanna have any interest in rod pump wells and rod pump engineering, please check out Anthony's Distinguished Lecturer Tour. Now, before I get into the questions, and this is something Anthony and I agree upon, You've been hearing me use the term rod pump well. Because one of the, it's like nails on a chalkboard to both him and I when we hear something, uh, someone referred to a rod pump well as a beam pump. Yep. Little factoid, rod pump 101. A beam pump refers to the surface unit if it's a walking beam and not the entire rod pump system as a whole. So Anthony, you can... Uh, Give me a pat on the back for making that little uh, factoid.
2: You just made me smile more than I can <laughs> express, just uh, giving that, that little bit of uh, uh, education to everybody listening.
3: And of course, no, he- I say bean pump anytime Anthony's in the room. Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, okay, I've read your bios, but to anybody listening, it's more of they want to understand how you got to where you're at so let me start with anthony how did you get started on an artificial lift career path
2: so for me it was it was a little bit by accident um when i first got started in the oil field i was a field engineer working on flow measurement and well testing products and uh Weatherford went through a little bit of a reorg that moved me into the rod pump automation side of things. And that's where I was from, from there forward. I was really fortunate in that role to work under uh, a great mentor, Lewis Ray, who taught me a lot about optimizing rod pump wells and doing uh, surveillance using rod pump controllers and the SCADA software and just Mm-hmm. From that, and working in the field with the other projects that uh, that we had where we were integrating those tools with pumping units and rods in the downhole pumping system, I just I got I was in a unique place to kind of touch every piece of the system and uh, get a good background and amount
3: of experience in it that way.
1: Okay, same question to you, Greg. How did you end up with a career in artificial lift?
3: Okay, so my story kind of started really my first month majoring in petroleum engineering at Texas Tech. So I was, I think, the lone freshman uh, that got invited or coerced to go to the uh, SPE uh, ATCE in New Orleans, which was a pretty fun experience for an 18-year-old. Uh, and anyway, so some of the seniors were uh, taking me under their wing. And so we got on the exhibition floor, and I see that there's this mob of people surrounding this little guy. And I'm like, who is this guy? Guy over there because so like, you're talking about, you know, I don't know, it's like some little, it's like Tom Cruise or something, right? It's like, no, 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 that's wink. I'm like, wink, what's a wink? It's not a what, it's a who. It's, it's Harold Winkler. He was the chairman of petroleum at tech and he like invented uh, artificial or invented gas lift. And I'm like, well, really? <laughs> so uh, they didn't really invent gas lift, but mo- most of what we know about it, he literally invented in the 1950s and 60s. And uh, and he was in fact our first inductee as a legend of artificial lift. So anyway, so I got to know Wink a little bit, uh, although not too much. He pretty much stopped teaching uh, by that time. Uh, but I kind of at least got an inkling that there might be a career in artificial lift, given that you know so many many people kind of uh, you know loved and adored Harold Winkler. So uh, I actually, well, I mean, kind of philosophically, one of the reasons I like artificial lift is because I like instant gratification. And if you looked at all the different petroleum engineering disciplines out there, it's like the one discipline where you can like turn a knob and see instant results. And sometimes those results are even good, which is even better. Uh, So anyway, um, when I graduated from tech, it was also kind of a fortunate thing because we're in the middle of a horrible downturn and it turns out the only jobs you can get were at service companies. So I went to work for Camco, which was the same company that Harold Winkler worked for years before when he CAMCO gas lift manual and all that. And so I went through a series of different roles at CAMCO that kind of got me a, a deep dive uh, into artificial lift, first in gas lift, and then later in uh, progressing cavity pumps. And so uh, the rest is history.
0: Shopping online can now generate donations for SPE. Here's how you can help. On your first visit to smile.amazon.com, you will be prompted to select a charitable organization to receive donations. After selecting SPE, every eligible purchase you make on Amazon Smile will result in a donation to SPE. It's really that simple, and there's no additional charge to you. So start shopping today. From all of us at SPE, thank you for your support.
1: Truly, both of you are seen internationally as an industry recognized expert uh, in your form of lift. So, how does or how does one or what does someone need to do to be considered a subject matter expert in artificial lift?
2: So, the the kind of the path that I took, and one of the things that I think is is really critical is getting out in the field and working, you know, close to where this equipment actually gets gets put into practice. Um, you can do tons of rod designs in the office and send them out to a rig to be run down hole. But if you're never out there while it's being run, understanding what happens to get this stuff installed properly, um, and then what happens after you flip the switch and turn it on to see how it actually operates, uh, you're you're missing a huge part of, of the picture of, of what's happening there. Um, you know, seeking out mentors with a lot of experience in this, you know, Greg and I both mentioned, you know, guys who came before us who spent decades doing this work before we ever met them. And, you know, that was, that's always been a a huge, uh, I guess, influence on me and, uh, and and helped me move along. I mean, this, this community, you know, we, we talk about how small the oil field is sometimes and how you, know, you go to these conferences and we always see a lot of the same people that we know where we go. Well, Inside of that, the, the Lyft community is even smaller. And, um, but there's a lot of great people working in, the, uh, in this part of the oil field. And it's uh, a pretty open and inviting group. We, there's a lot of guys and gals that I uh, bounce ideas off of uh, all the time for different problems that we're having or new technology that we're looking at. Um, and then teaching, uh, Greg's bio talked about teaching, uh, courses in the industry. I've always found teaching is a great way, not just to, to share knowledge that I have, but also, you know, learn more from the people that are attending the courses. Uh, you know, how does what we teach actually translate to what they're doing day to day and get new ideas about how things are, how problems are being solved out in the field.
1: You both realize that, you know, you both mentioned it was mentors or an individual, you know, this big artificial lift expert that got you into the business and tables have turned. You guys realize that is now you. <laughs> <laughs> Not you are be old or anything.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's hard to look at it that way sometimes, I guess. But but yeah, and it's it's one of my favorite parts of my job really is, the The engineers inside of Oxy that you know I talk to on a daily basis about uh, either individual well problems or our our regular meetings about uh, high failure wells or new technology that we're looking at and helping them understand you know what what looks good what doesn't look good what is the the latest greatest new thing that some vendor has that. We actually ran in the seventies and eighties and still doesn't really work that well. Uh, uh, that's, it's, that's one of my favorite parts of, of my job really.
1: So Anthony uh, rod pumps uh, are the, the biggest population and demographics for artificial lift around the world. Pretty much every continent you step on there's rod pump systems, but in the case for Greg, cause now I'm going to do the question to Greg, on how do you become a subject matter expert in nodal analysis and gas lift. Um, first of all, gas lift isn't as prevalent around the world, but many would argue it produces more fluids for a smaller demographic. But, um, and I'll give it two parts, because one, how does one become an expert in nodal analysis for artificial lift, and then in
3: gas lift? Well, that wasn't the question I was prepared to answer. Uh, but uh, <laughs> But first of all, I'll just echo uh, a lot of what Anthony said. He took about half my answers. I mean, so I, I definitely agree with the notion of get your hands dirty and sometimes literally by, you know, going in the field uh, or, or even going back in the shop and tearing down pumps for or setting up gas valves or whatever, but also seeing lots of different types of problems. All right. And 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 really uh, learning as much as you can that way by, by solving different problems. So I think uh you know that going to work for a service company uh early in my career was actually kind of a blessing uh because i was in a global role and i saw some of the most interesting problems from all over the world all right and and uh, and was forced to solve uh you know where you know if you're working for a vendor you don't necessarily have the luxury of getting to go call a vendor <laughs> you're you're the guy and you have to come up with the answers so um so that actually helped, and, and that you know, that helped in terms of developing my understanding of and analysis and all that because I was modeling wells from everywhere, whether it be little, you know, tiny uh, 50 barrels a day, you know, wells in, in East Texas or, you know, uh, 50,000 barrel a day wells in the North Sea and, you know, or, or heavy oil wells in this or whatever. But you saw like every kind of problem uh, that they could throw at you. So, I mean, so that was good. And like Anthony, I, I agree that one of the best ways is you can learn is, is to teach. So, uh, in fact, like I think when I was about two years out of school, I was forced to, uh, travel to Denmark and teach a gas school. I only been to like one myself and that kind of trial by fire really taught me what I didn't know and what I needed to know and really motivated, you know, some of my own learning. And so, so I think that's really, really valuable. Um, Yeah, I mean, you talk about learning global analysis and and I mean, I I always kind of learned by doing. And if I didn't necessarily know the answer, I would find a mentor uh, who could help me figure it out or, uh, you know, uh, you know, read a book, (laughs) read an SPE paper. Uh, You know, uh, these days we're fortunate enough to have uh, Petrol Wiki. But when I started out, you had this giant book that you could iron your pants with called the uh, Petroleum Engineering Handbook. Which makes up most of Patrick Wiki. So, you know, I got a lot of information from there and, you know, variety of sources. Uh, one of the things that I think has probably helped me the most in terms of growing, uh, both technically, but also growing my network has been uh, participating in ISO and API committees. You know, so this is something, uh, you know, that we haven't really talked about much, but. You know, Anthony, I, well, we've all been involved in lots of different things, lots of committees and, and volunteer stuff, uh, you know, related to the industry. But I feel like the things that have grown my network the most and allowed me to grow the most personally have been serving on API committees.
1: How important are industry standards for artificial lift and the involvement in those committees? You you teed yourself up for that one.
3: Okay, perfect. Well, so as far as that so, you know, it, it's kind of a two-edged sword. So in terms of... Um, your own personal development. All right. When you serve on those committees, you have you know quality time in windowless conference rooms for days at a time with some of the best experts in the industry, both in terms of uh, uh, you know service providers, o- other operators, um, you know consultants, you know, university professors, whatever. And so it gives you an opportunity to, to really develop a personal relationship with all these folks in ways that you don't you know, sitting on a steering committee for a a conference or something, you know, because you just don't have that kind of time. So, you know, on a personal level, that has kind of helped me in that if there's a problem I can't solve just because I've never been exposed to it, I generally know the person in the industry that I need to call to answer it. All right. So, so there's that that side of it. As far as the, the use of the standards themselves to the industry, I mean, I I really do believe in them. I think that it's kind of a case where a rising tide lifts all boats. So that even if we're not using those industry standards, uh, you know, in order to, uh, uh, you know, purchase our products and our contracts, although I I, encourage you to do so, even if you're not doing that, having that standard baseline for quality, you know, really ensures that, you know, the equipment across the board at least meets that minimum threshold. And it allows us when evaluating different equipment and different suppliers to have kind of an apples to apples basis for comparing them. Uh, so in general, yeah, standards are good.
1: Yes, and well, and both, all three of us, we, we utilize, we, we walk the talk. So Greg and I, over the past several years, when we've gone in to audit certain artificial lift manufacturers, we definitely do refer to those industry standards. Now, Anthony, um, I'd like you to respond too, on the it, how important are industry standards for artificial life?
2: I mean, I think it's it's critical, kind of like Greg said, of you know, setting a good baseline for uh, all of our vendors and the and the products that we use. Um, you know, but like you mentioned, you know, it's it's kind of a I look at it as a, as a base building block to to start from and build your requirements on top of that. All right, so you know, there's nothing in uh, any of our standards that tells our vendors what uh, bearings we should use in a pumping unit, but you know, based on our experience at Oxy, we have certain requirements that are a little above and beyond what you what you find in the standard, um, and that gives us you know our our starting point, and then add our own experiences and our own technical expertise uh, to make sure that we're getting good quality product. Uh, and Shawna, you had mentioned you know going in and auditing vendors. Uh, you know that's I've that was a, a new thing for me after I, I came from a service company to oxy and having that opportunity uh, to go and visit different vendors and uh, take parts in audits and understand you know how they they do their processes and I think that's a great way to to learn more in the industry um, and to build a good relationship with your vendors who are using those standards right and it's it's not a some people hear the word audit and their their skin crawls, right? Because it can be a very negative experience sometimes. And we, we really try to promote it as a way for us to really understand how their business runs better and how it influences the the product that we receive and and how we use it in the field, and and just a good learning experience for 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 both sides. Um, Greg said, you know. Getting involved in the development of these standards and and working on these committees, you don't have to be the world's greatest expert in downhole rod pumps. I guarantee you, I, I'm the chairman of the committee and I'm sitting in these rooms and I am by far not even close to, you know, uh, world-renowned expert on a lot of these standards that, that we work on. But uh, you know, you you learn a lot from the guys that. Are those experts that are taking part in that, and and providing feedback to them on, you know, how do we as an operator use these products that are covered by these standards in the field, um, and, you know, just to uh, plug that just for a minute, we, we really need more involvement from people at, at operating companies, to you know the people that actually use these products on those committees. Um, it's sometimes. You know, we're one of the few in the room that isn't a uh, from a service company. And we really need to take part in defining those standards as the people that actually use them at the end of the day.
0: Are you considering becoming an SPE member? When you join SPE, you join a society of dedicated professionals just like you, working to address the technical challenges of the global oil and gas industry. SPE membership gives you the opportunity to make local and global connections and build a network of influential technical leaders from every discipline. Learn more at SPE.org slash join.
1: Now, I had mentioned early in the podcast that about 90, 95% of the total producing wells on this planet are producing with some form of artificial lift and the artificial lift systems, they can be in the wells for a really long time. And there could be a lot of external factors that affect it. So the question is, because there's so many disciplines, we've got reservoir, drilling, facilities, how important is it for anyone in oil and gas to have a basic understanding of artificial lift concepts?
3: Greg? So my view is that unless maybe you're a geologist you know you basically need to understand artificial lift because every single discipline touches it in one way and in terms of being able to kind of maximize the value of that asset you really need to design your wells build them build the infrastructure and so forth in a way that can accommodate artificial lift and allow it to perform properly so you know for instance you know, if I'm, you know, drilling a horizontal well and I have a really skinny well bore with five and a half or even four and a half inch casing, um, you know, I've probably limited the the number of lift methods that will work to like one. Uh, the good news is that it's mine, but, uh, you know, <laughs> that may not necessarily be what's optimal for the asset. And, you know, the same goes with... Reservoir and so forth. So, I, you know, I've know, i been involved in kind of field development planning studies and stuff where the reservoir engineers say, Oh, well, we're going to put these wells on a sucker rod pump. And uh, we, we built our model assuming a 500 psi pump intake pressure. And said, like, Whoa, 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 how did you arrive at that number? Well, it just seems like a good one to us. It's like, Well, with the, but your well has like a 2001 gas to liquid ratio and you're in five and a half inch casing. You know, it's not possible. We'd have to have like a, thousand or twelve hundred psi pump intake pressure in order to to just be able to get the the well to produce you know so so you you need to have that kind of marriage between the disciplines
1: okay anthony same question to you why should people have some basic understanding of artificial lift even though they don't want to be an artificial lift engineer
2: yeah i mean kind of like greg said one of the the uh, Best examples for us is our work with our drilling department. Um, You know, it's five and a half is cheap, right? Uh, But it has lasting impacts on the cost of uh, how we operate wells and for the life of that well. And we've really seen uh, better designs of our wells, not just the, the, the size of the tubing, which, you know, we don't always get seven inch cases, We'd like it, but sometimes we do. Uh, But sometimes we just get better, smoother well bores, Uh, and that has a drastic impact on the the life of our rod pump systems down the road. Look, artificial lift touches just about everybody out there, right? It's not just the engineer in the office doing the designs, um, but it's the The guys on the rig who are actually running the equipment in the ground and even if they know just a a little bit more than the basics about what do these rods even do and how does this pump work then when they're running it in the ground they have more care of of the equipment while they're handling it whenever we have a failure and they're pulling it they have a better idea of what things to look for so we have a better idea of what caused the failure so we can make sure it doesn't happen again and that cascades to, you know, the guys in the truck running routes to, to check their wells every day. The better you understand what's happening down hole, the better you can interpret what's happening at the surface. And when you're having problems with a well, either troubleshooting it yourself on location or how you communicate and how you work with other uh, either well analysts or engineers back in the office to, to, to optimize that well.
1: Excellent. Well said. And let me add to business development and asset development because these are people that are making decisions whether to proceed or not based on a lot of our uh, assumptions with artificial lift. And we're not saying you have to necessarily be an expert, but you should know enough to ask the right questions and know at what point you need to go see an artificial lift expert in order to an- answer that yep. question.
2: Yep. So well said. And right. so one thing, like you know, I, that, you know, one of my earliest classes I taught at Oxy, I had pretty much everyone from our supply chain group that deals with rod pump equipment sitting in on my class. And they came to the day one, the basic class and didn't come through any of the design stuff, but they they didn't need to. they They came and got a better understanding of you know what are these products that that they're buying? and And what does this actually mean when a vendor comes and talks to them? And I thought that was fantastic to have them. There is part of that.
1: So for people that really have not had this basic understanding, obviously there must be some misunderstandings. So Greg, what are some misconceptions that people seem to have in the industry about, uh, your area of artificial lift?
3: Yeah. So in gas lift in particular, there is kind of a misunderstanding, uh, particularly amongst pump guys that gas is really simple. You just put a hole in the tubing and inject gas and, you know, presto, chango, you got yourself a well. And it's actually quite a bit more complex than that. Um, you know, if, to really try to design and optimize a gas lift installation, you have to understand well performance probably better, you know, to in, in more detail than any of the artificial lift systems. Because, you know, where, you know, an ESP is going to basically give me the amount of rate and head I ask it to. Uh, in gas lift, you really have to know, you know, both the inflow performance, outflow performance, uh, PBT, you know, multiphase flow, all those things, and um, you know, and and then there's the complexity of trying to get, you know, an installation with, you know, ten or twelve uh, unloading valves to work in harmony. Uh, uh, you know, so that that can be challenging. One of the other misconceptions, even amongst the so-called experts, is that what you know Harold Winkler taught us in 1960 about how a gas valve works is how they work, and the truth is uh, that was actually a lie. It was a white lie. It was the best he could come up with in 1960, but it's wrong. Okay, it turns out that gas valves are not 100% open or 100% closed. They throttle. Okay, and and to really uh, you know understand how a gas installation. Uh, works. You have to understand that throttling nature of a gasifier.
1: Anthony, I'll um, ask you the same question. But since Greg already opened the gates as to little white lies, if you want to talk about static gas separators or anything else, the floor is yours.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so the 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 number one thing uh, I think is that people think rod pumping is old and boring and stale, right? that this is the same technology that nothing's changed in the past 40 or 50 years, you know, okay, now it's got a big metal pumping unit, but it's the same as the old wooden beams that we used to run. Uh, and some of which are still running out in, in Bakersfield. Um, in my master's program, one of my professors, um, who was one of my favorite ones in the long run actually said, we're not going to talk about rod pumps. We're just going to talk about gas lift and ESPs. And it just broke my heart. Um, look, there's, there's a lot of problems that we, we still haven't solved, uh, especially around rod pumping unconventional wells and, and horizontals. You, know, you talked about static gas separators. The rule of thumb out there that everybody uses of six inches per second Uh, velocity for your gas separator and size everything off of that is an absolute lie. Um, It works really well in a university lab with water and air at atmospheric pressure. I don't know how many rod pumps we have that move nothing but water at atmospheric pressure. At least if they do, someone should probably shut them in for good. Um, That's, that's a big area of, you know, my particular interest for us to to better understand as an industry, uh, but there's always new technologies and new materials that that we're looking at. Um, it's it's been interesting to see even just the last couple of years with sucker rods in particular that metallurgies and processes had not really changed for a long time, and in just the past four years, you know there's half a dozen new metallurgies that are available to us to, to solve different problems. So there's, there's a lot that's still changing and developing and ongoing with this simple, basic, boring uh, lift system that we call rod pumping.
0: Much of the work of the Society of Petroleum Engineers is accomplished by members. Become a volunteer and use your knowledge and experience to influence SPE programs and activities. As a volunteer, you can enhance your leadership skills while meeting and working with other SPE members from across the globe. There are many opportunities to get involved, regardless of your experience, location, or experience level. To learn more about the League of Volunteers, visit SPE.org volunteer.
1: Now, one of the main reasons why we're doing the timing of this podcast when we are, is because we want to talk about the upcoming uh, Artificial Lift Conference and Exhibition Americas. Um, This event uh, first began in 2014. I was proud to be chair of it in 2014, 2016. And then I mentioned in the bio that Greg was the chair of this conference in 2018. And now, uh, keeping up the tradition, we have Anthony coming in for 2020. And yes, it's actually gone virtual, like many of our other events, uh, which is kind of putting us into some unknown space. But Anthony, I'll uh, put the question to you. So why should someone even consider attending our ALCE this year?
2: So I believe this is our industry's premier event that's focused on artificial lift all right there's uh lots of spe conferences that talk about you know reservoir focused things drilling conferences um you know completions and that sort of stuff there's not as many uh, there's not certainly not the number of events uh that focus on artificial lift and this one i think in particular is very very high quality in terms of the the people that are involved in it the knowledge that they bring to it and 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 share, and that's really what you know. These uh, conferences and workshops inside of SPE are about is uh, sharing our experiences in the oil field, and and this particular, and this conference, uh, artificial lift in particular, and and learning from one another. Uh, you know, I always feel that whenever I go and present at a conference like this, I always learn a lot more uh, from the other participants in terms of the questions that they ask uh, or the discussions that we have afterwards then i uh, gave gave the paper um, and i feel that you know events like this give you real world results and and practices that you can take back to your company and, and implement in your own operations very easily i think
1: Okay, Greg, same question, but I'll throw a bit of a twist too, as you know, we're very hands-on. We like to see our equipment, you know, we're a very tight community. We like to be together to network and you've not only chaired sessions, you've presented, you know, how um, in this virtual uh, environment, you know, and also what we should get from this, uh, from the upcoming virtual ALCE.
3: Okay, so, so why should you attend the virtual event? Um, well, why not? Uh, <laughs> what else do you have to do? You're stuck at home in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, no, I mean, uh, <laughs> um, like Anthony was saying, I mean, virtual or not, I mean, you know, the Artificial Lift Conference and Exhibition is the pre- premier artificial lift event in the industry. All right, and, and um, you know, prior to 2014, we really didn't have an spe international event focusing on artificial lift it was just a bunch of, of smaller little events all right and they and they tended to be you know specific to one lift method uh the alce uh covers all major forms of artificial lift and brings together experts uh, for each of them uh you know both in the technical sessions and in the exhibition and so you know you're not necessarily going to be able to physically put your hands on equipment in the exhibition this year but we will have a virtual exhibition with virtual exhibitors and booths and there'll be networking opportunities there and and so you know it's it's the next best thing i guess uh, but you still get all the same great content and uh you know you save your shoe leather not having to climb stairs or or ride the escalator up and down to the exhibition hall
1: Greg i've done, i've done those events in heels okay and until you put on my <laughs> shoes <laughs> you don't need to be talking about shoe leather
2: <laughs> yeah
1: sorry anthony you're going to say something
2: i think the the switch to virtual really gives us uh attendees a great new opportunity where you know in the past i would have had to make a decision between staying for another technical session or going down to spend time in the exhibition and you know because the uh the present if if you want to ask q a you know, you need to be there at the time that the paper is scheduled to be presented. So you have that, that time with the authors, but if you just really want to see the presentation and, and hear that part, they're all being recorded. So I think it's going to give people a lot greater opportunity to see more of the event than you otherwise would have if you were having to move back and forth from, uh, from the from the presentation room, and then go down to see the exhibits, or you get caught up talking to somebody in the hallway and miss something. You'll you can kind of go through things at your own leisure this way. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how how we all experience that with this with the switch to virtual.
1: Well, and one thing unique too with the ALCE is the legends of artificial lift recognition. Uh, the Legends of Artificial Lift also started in 2014 to recognize many of our mentors and champions in our industry and their contributions to SVE. And this year, we are recognizing John Patterson and Lynn Rowland as our incoming Legends of Artificial Lift. Now, if you want to learn about past legends, all you have to do is Google in one Petro Legends of Artificial Lift. And you'll see all, all those wonderful people that we have recognized in the industry. And we might have two future legends uh, on this podcast. So we'll see what the future holds. Um, so we talked about mentors, even legends looking up. Um, you know, that's how both of you kind of got into the business. Um, what advice would you give to someone wanting a career in artificial lift?
3: Well, my first instinct is to say, run, you fool. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, in general, you know, I always say follow your passion, you know, so if you're if you have the right kind of personality for it and it's something that that really uh, sings to you, then by all means, uh, you know, go for it and all the things that we kind of talked about earlier in terms of finding a mentor uh you know getting involved in SPE and api various organizations where you can uh, you really have an opportunity to broaden yourself Um, honestly this is kind of counterintuitive but i would almost say spend a few years if you can working for a service company Uh, because while it's certainly not a requirement to become an sme or whatever an artificial lift um, you know you probably have a better chance of getting you know more depth and and breadth in terms of that kind of domain knowledge working there because it's their business all right they're not in the business of of necessarily producing oil and gas for a profit they're in the business of you know selling artificial lift equipment and applying it and if it fails then they don't get to sell any more of it (laughs) or much more you know so i mean so i think i mean honestly you know you know People are kind of reluctant to want to, you know, kind of start out their career in a service company, but but it can help. Um, and you know, seek out mentors, learn as much as you can, all that.
1: And before I uh, address the question to Anthony, I just remembered that one of our legends of artificial lift is a current distinguished lecturer within SBE, and that is Ken Decker on the subject of gas lifts. So please check out his DL presentation as well. He was not only a mentor of mine. I know he was a mentor of Greg's and a well-deserved legend and artificial lift. So Anthony, now the question to you, what advice would you give to someone considering a career in artificial lift?
2: I mean, to, to echo some of what Greg said, I mean, for me, my service company experience was, was critical. I, I, I actually worked in every Oxy field that had a rod pump before I ever came to work for Oxy um, through, through my work at Weatherford. And, uh, I, it's certainly not the only way to get there, but it, it, it certainly helped me and in, in my career, uh, you know, find people either inside your company or in the industry who are also passionate about this and, you know, latch onto them, ask lots of questions. Uh, you know, the, the biggest thing for us a lot of times is this is a solving uh, artificial lift problems is is like solving a puzzle for us, right? We're we're taking broken pieces of things and trying to figure out how they fit back together and what happened before. And if you have that kind of mentality, um, I think would fit really well to this, you know, don't worry so much about what your, your uh, education or your degree was in. All right. My, my bachelor's was in electronics engineering. Um, and, You know, I went through an automation path that brought me into the artificial lift world, but I had to learn artificial lift to know how it worked and how our systems integrated with it to optimize it properly. And I did that just through the people I worked with and uh, training experiences I had inside the industry. You know, there is no artificial lift engineer degree and there's hardly even an artificial lift class in a petroleum engineering program Uh, at at most universities. So you'll need to seek out those training opportunities and those mentors in the industry on your own. Uh, One other new venture inside of SPE is our artificial lift and gas well uh, deliquification technical session. Uh, That is a great uh, new opportunity for, you know, people to exchange ideas. And we'll have some webinars coming up as well on... uh, artificial lift focused uh, topics that give us an opportunity to share knowledge and interact with one another outside of the like ALC. And so if you haven't already gone and and joined that, I suggest that you look for that on SPE Connect and and join our new technical section.
1: And I'm so glad you mentioned that, Anthony, because as well being a technical section, we have our own SBE Connect community where if you are having questions about your artificial systems or you want to give advice, help our fellow SBE colleagues, it's finally um, a great community, uh, not only just to, to go in and observe and learn, but to also contribute. So I appreciate that. Well, that brings us to the end of our podcast, gentlemen. I really want to thank you uh, for uh, being brave and letting me drag you into this. I'm much appreciated. But again, you know, w- we are just a small representation of a community of people that are very passionate about the topic of artificial lift. And you can reach out to me, to Greg, to Anthony. You can reach us through SBE Connect. And, um, you know, we can help you either on your career path or even through SBE's uh, e-mentor program. If you're looking for those mentors, please sign up and you can specify that your area that you're interested in is artificial lift and we'll do our best to match you up with an appropriate mentor. So thank you. I guess we can say kind of keep on pumping. (laughs) Back to you Paige.
0: Thank you for joining us today. Let's keep the conversation going. Use the hashtag SPE Podcast on all your social media channels to reach out and leave comments and reviews. We love hearing from you. You can find the SPE Podcast wherever you get your podcast. Search SPE Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn. We're also online at spe.org podcasts.